Winchester, here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 55, where we're talking about the Reading Women Award Fiction Shortlist. Hi, Kendra. It's so exciting to get to talk about this award shortlist. Yes. For the last couple of months, we've been reading like mad women trying to uh, get all of these books in and read all of the things, but I'm very excited about the books that we've selected today. I am too. It's interesting also because now that this is our third year doing this, and I can't even believe that. I know, right? (laughs) But the cadence of the books is different. Like last year, we knew pretty early on what some of our top picks were. And this year, I felt like it took us a lot longer to make up our minds. Yeah, we didn't make up our minds until like last week week or something. (laughs) And we knew in September last year who won. Yes. So I feel like the competition is definitely steeper this year. For sure, for sure. But before we start talking about the books that we have chosen for our shortlist, Kendra, would you like to talk a little bit about the Reading Women Award and what it is for some of our new listeners? Yeah, so we founded this award in 2016, and the first year we didn't have a shortlist, we just had a runner-up in each category of fiction and nonfiction. Today we're talking about fiction, Uh, but this award recognizes outstanding writing by books by or about women in both the fiction and nonfiction categories, and we look for books that obviously are published in the United States in in this year, the calendar year of 2018. They mainly focus on women's lives and themes surrounding women's issues. And we also look for books that promote stories that typically have been left unheard or are typically ignored either in the past or currently. And I feel like that's definitely something that has shown through in this year's shortlist. I think so, too. And that's one thing. Yeah, well, I can't really say it better, but that's been one of the great things about this award is that it has made us personally read stories that may have typically been outside of our comfort zone and or it's also made us um, just find a lot of really great new writers and new stories and new perspectives. Yeah, and you know, there are a lot of debut authors on our shortlist this year, and that just makes me so happy because these are stellar writers and right out of the gate and there's just so much promise there and I'm very excited to see what they do next as well. Definitely. And then we are currently accepting book nominations for the 2019 Reading Women Award. So we will be on the lookout for those for next year's award. That will be very helpful for the 2019 award. But we're going to talk about the 2018 award today. And there are just so many amazing books on this. Obviously, (laughs) we're going to keep saying that. I'm going to try not to. (laughs) But we love all of these books. So they're just so so great yes and so we did even though we decided on this list together we've decided to split up the list and alternate with the nominations so Kendra why don't you start us off with our first nomination so the first book on our short list for fiction is A Place for Us by Fatima Farheen Mirza and this is out from Sarah Jessica Parker for Hogarth and this is about a Indian Muslim family living in California and this novel, oh my goodness. Yeah, basically. Oh, it is such a stellar novel and focuses on a family and is character driven, but I would almost want to say family driven. 
I th- would agree with that. Like, it, it's not necessarily a family saga in the traditional sense, I suppose, but it definitely is all about this family and their lives. And I will say, I'm. I it did take me a couple pages to get into it, but once I got my teeth into the story, I couldn't put it down. I think I read the whole thing in like a half a day or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is so beautiful. And once you start it, you you can't stop reading it because it's so complex and we primarily hear in the main section of the book from Hadia, the oldest sibling, Alayla, the mom, and Amar, who is the youngest sibling and he's also the only boy. And we often get scenes from multiple perspectives and it might seem repetitive, but it's not because you're learning more information about the family and how they interact with each other with each, you know, segment. It's almost like an origami flower or something like that in where it it overlaps, but it's like unfolding. Like a kaleidoscope. Yeah. I didn't find it repetitive in the sense that it was really interesting to me because to see other families' perspectives on these scenes. One of the other things I found interesting about this book is that it is one of the first books that I've read that deals with 9-11. And I feel like we're starting to see more and more books that tackle this issue of like how 9-11 affected especially Muslim families. And so for me, that was really one of my favorite parts of this book was to see that perspective and to hear how that event affected this family's life. You know, Fatima is around our age. And so it was interesting to see someone who was around the same age as we were during 9-11 and her perspective. But also she was a Muslim girl during the time and had to experience the backlash Uh, that came after that and she portrays that in fiction and I think that's such that's a perspective that we definitely need to hear more from and I just thought it was so eye-opening and meaningful the fear was very poignant with the family of okay should we wear our hijabs what does that mean for our faith and so many different complications definitely so do you want to talk a little bit about why we decided to pick this book Yeah, we decided to pick this book because, one, it's a gorgeous book. It's so well-written. It's such a beautiful, character-driven novel. The last section was one of the most beautiful things I I read all year. And I don't want to give any spoilers about what it's about, but just trust me, guys. Just go out and read it. Uh, And she also gives us perspective that I feel like has been unheard, like we talked about. And she portrays a family, just an American family, trying to live their lives, connect with their community, grow as young people for the kids. And it's also an immigrant story of the parents moving to America. There's so many facets here that Fatima covers so well in the novel. It's also in a lot of ways a coming of age story in the sense that you see the children in this family grow up And then we also have that counterbalanced with the parents' perspectives, which I also found really fascinating. Yeah, it was a very well done, very well structured book. And you could tell that she spent a very long time writing this book. And I feel, I I think that I heard in another interview that she spent eight or nine years working on this book. And I think that shows through because... The characters are what drive this book and the interactions between them and the tensions between the different family members. It's just a beautiful book. That's why it made our shortlist and that's why we would definitely recommend it to all of you. Um, And so that is A Place for Us by Fatima Farhin Mirza. 
So our next pick is If You Leave Me by Crystal Honekin, and this book is published by William Morrow. And this is another family drama, but in a different way, and that is a multi-generational family novel. It is mostly narrated from three perspectives. We have Himmy, and then Kyungwon, and Jisoo. And Himmy is the, I guess you could say she's the protagonist of the book. So it's mostly from Himmy's perspective, but then Kyungwon is her friend growing up, who they're like best friends and hang out together. And then Jisoo is the man who she ends up marrying. And so we meet them when they're very young and then follow them through their adult lives until we meet Himmy's daughter. And we also hear from Hemi's brother's perspective. And since this is set during the Korean War and each chapter like moves forward a few years at a time, you get so much history with this novel. It's definitely a beautiful historical novel. Mm-hmm. And you, you get to see all of these different characters' perspectives. Uh, we did interview Crystal Hanekim, and she talked a lot about the tension between the urban narrative uh, in Seoul and then also when Hemi and Jisoo live out in the country and just a lot going on with that. And it's just very beautiful to hear her describe that and, and the process behind this novel. It really was. And this is a war book. So as Kendra said, it's a set during the Korean War. But you also find out about the aftermath, how people try to put their lives back together after an event so life-shattering as a war, which I also felt like was a little bit more of a nuanced perspective. I Because I feel like many of the war books that I've read either deal with only during the war or like end with the end of the war or it's after the war. There's, I'm not, I personally have not read any books that kind of straddle that line. So it was really helpful and insightful to see that perspective as well. I think that's so important because in most of the war narratives that we hear, we only hear about like the war itself, maybe how it got started, maybe, and then how it ended. But we don't hear about how it affected the citizens after many years after the war. And I think this was so important, especially since in America in particular, we don't talk about the Korean War very much. Uh, now that we're so removed from it generationally. And I thought this book was so important to remind us that we need to pay more attention to this particular conflict and the effects that it had. I think so, too. And I definitely appreciated that it didn't romanticize war because I've kind of quit. I, I kind of quit reading war books just because I felt like it kind of glamorized or romanticized battles that were happening or they were only from American perspectives or something like that. So this one is about Koreans living in Korea during the Korean War. And the war is there, but it's almost, not quite, but it's almost in the background, which I also appreciated because it focused on the people more and how, and like the people living through it and the people who had lived there for their whole lives. So I really appreciated that perspective as well. So what are some of the reasons why this book made it onto our shortlist? So I think... One of the reasons is the structure. The structure, we are big structure nerds, for sure. (laughs) And I think that the way that this story is told from several different perspectives is really helpful. Well, not just really helpful. It's really beautiful. And I think that you get this really unique perspective because you have the female perspective and the male perspective and a mother's perspective and a child's perspective and a rich person's perspective and a poor person's perspective. So it really provides like a well-rounded narrative. 
Also, I think that it does talk about a conflict that definitely, especially as Americans, we don't talk about very much. And I was really surprised to read a lot of the things that she talked about in this novel. So I think that that's another reason why it's a really important read. Yeah, and I feel like she did so much research for the book, and it was just so well-crafted. It was just a beautiful novel, and I will never forget the end of the book, which obviously we're not going to talk about because of spoilers, but I feel like she communicated so much in such a short amount of space, and the book did not feel like it's, what, like 400 pages? But it definitely didn't feel that long. It it was so so beautiful. Yeah, I could have kept reading. (laughs) (laughs) And she said that she focused on the first generation of a family saga that she had imagined. And I wanted to ask her, is there going to be a sequel? Can we learn about the second generation, please? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe we will. But We can hope. We can hope. (laughs) But this was another book that also I think... I haven't seen a lot of people read and I just think it's so beautiful and such an just such a beautiful beautiful story so definitely you'll want to pick up a copy of If You Leave Me by Crystal Hanekim. And the next book on our shortlist is Everyone Knows You Go Home by Natalia Sylvester and this is out from Little A Publishing and our interview with Natalia will be going up in a week after this so we are very excited to talk to her about this but this is a book told in dual narratives and the present day narrative is with Isabel and Martin and we start on the Day of the Dead and Isabel's father-in-law, who is dead, appears to them on their wedding day. And that is the first chapter. And that is an epic chapter. Right? Like, we've heard Natalia read the first couple pages of her book at the Decatur Book Festival. And as soon as I heard the first page, I leaned over to Kendra and said, Okay, I have to read this book. (laughs) Well, I am so glad that we both did. And because this is such a, a beautiful novel and, and we learn very quickly that Martin's dad, Omar, who appears to them on their wedding day, uh, migrated from Mexico to the United States uh, in the 1980s. And that is actually the other timeline that we follow is a group of migrants traveling from Mexico to the United States across the border. And we learn more about their story and how it affects the current timeline with Isabel and Martin. And this is such a timely read for so many reasons. I mean, the week after I read this, there was a news article. It was probably still the news at the time. This is posted about migrants making their way to the U.S. And I felt like I had a much better understanding of what that actually meant for someone to migrate to the U.S. after reading this book. It's definitely a thought-provoking book and a conversation starter, and it inspires you to go and research more about the topic. And you have such a greater level of understanding of what the everyday life is like. Because in Timeline in the 1980s, it describes more about like the everyday life of what it's like to travel across the desert and travel across the border and what the people would have to be experiencing to be willing to risk all of these things, to go through all of this trials and tribulation to make it to the United States. And I feel like that's something that's not talked about when we talk about migrants and immigrants. Absolutely. So one of the things we haven't talked about yet in this book is the fact that around Isabel and Martin's first year anniversary, a nephew of 
Martins comes to live with them and he is comes he is undocumented and he comes to stay with them and this just adds a whole other layer of richness to the book because they then have to navigate not only their relationship because they're newly married and you know still getting settled and getting to know each other but then also they're also still working through the fact that Omar appeared on their wedding day a year ago, and now they have to navigate how to take care of this teenager who is living in the U.S. but doesn't have any documentation. So that just added a whole other level to this book that made it something really special. And this book goes back and forth between the two narratives of the migrants traveling in the 1980s to the present. And we see that Martin and Isabel are both uh, American citizens. And we learn a little bit about the history of people who traveled across the border in the 1980s and, and early 90s. And I feel like she communicated what it's like for a family when your parents have migrated across the border and they are undocumented and what's that like for you when you are an American citizen when you've been born in the United States and just the tension between the different generations and I love going back and forth between the different timelines and seeing the effects of that almost simultaneously because they have these parallel timelines and it was just very beautifully done. And I think you basically just summarized, like, most of the reasons why we picked this book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's very true. Uh, And more reasons will come to light, of course, when our interview with Natalia goes live next week. Uh, If you're listening to this later, then when this podcast comes out, you can just go see the link in our show notes and check that out immediately after you finish this. So that's pretty cool. Uh, So that is Everyone Knows You Go Home by Natalia Sylvester. So now it's time for our sponsor spot, and that is us. And we have a special deal for you today in our Reading Women store. Yes. So in celebration of the Reading Women Award, we are offering 15% off our blind book dates in our bookstore. And these have been so wildly popular. I think we have restocked at least three times. Way, way more. So many times. Okay, (laughs) I've lost track. But yeah, so if you use the code... Award 2018 in our Etsy store, you can get 15% off a blind book date. And these blind book dates are specially selected for you. So you send us three books that you have enjoyed recently and also your Goodreads link if you have one and we will pick a book for you. We also do gifts if you want to send it to someone else or we can do buddy reads. So we will curate a book for both you and your friend uh, to do a buddy read of a book that we pick for both of you. Yeah, so we really enjoy getting to pick them for you, and we handwrite notes and wrap them up and mail them to you, and everyone loves to get book mail. And so be sure to use that promo code. Again, it is AWARD2018, and you can get a blind book date with a book by an amazing woman writer for yourself. And Autumn, I think you have our next uh, shortlisted author. I do. So our next book is Terra Nullius by Claire G. Coleman, and this book is published by Small Beer Press. And this is a story that I knew nothing about except for the cover. So I was so surprised in a good way when I read the book. It is about a young man named Jackie, and when we meet him, he is a runaway. But we're not really sure. Like, I think we know where he's running away from. And kind of why, but it's a little bit vague. So this is a kind of story that unfolds itself 
incrementally as you read the story. And I got about halfway in and there was a giant twist and I went, oh my goodness, that changes everything. (laughs) Um, Because you have this image in your mind about what you think is going on and then you find out that what's going on is not what you think is going on. And that's all I'm going to say about that because it's kind of a spoiler. This book Um, is very difficult to talk about without spoiling it. Uh, it really is. And it's not a thriller and it's not a mystery and it's nothing like that. It's an amazing, amazing novel. But it just, yeah, it's there's a huge plot twist in the middle, which just changes the whole narrative. So this book is set in Australia. And so Jackie is running away from a town where he has been working as a slave for the colonizers. And so he is trying to find his family. And so he's spending a lot of time in the desert and looking for his family. But then that also alternates with the narrative of a nun. And we don't ever get her name, do we? I'm not sure. Uh, She mainly, her thoughts and her focuses mainly focuses on how she hates the native children to which she cares for. Uh, so I'm not sure her name comes into the thoughts and she's not really a nice person. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably listed, but she's a really horrible person. But that is one thing I guess we should note about this book is there is violence in this book, especially violence towards children. So if that is triggering for you, just take note that this is, that is a part of this book. So Claire is such a brilliant writer and she handles the topic of colonization so masterfully like i i just still can't even get over how she handles it because she shows how almost how time is a continuum or like how oh spoilers how like things may change but they may not change as much as you think they've changed kind of a thing and i have not read a ton about australia or know a lot about australia to be honest and so to to find out about this history of the continent and the country and the people is just really incredible. And I think it's important to note here that Claire is a, an indigenous person from what is now known as Australia. And so this book is directly inspired by what happened to her people. And so you go into this book thinking it's going to be about one thing, and then it twists it on its head and you realize so much of what you expected this book to be or thought it would be about. She just turns it on its head and does an amazing job with it. She, Yeah, it's just amazing. It really just is amazing. Um, <laughs> spoilers are hard. <laughs> spoilers are hard. So what are some of the particular things about this book that or why we chose this book for our shortlist? I think for this one in particular at least for me, like the characters were really brilliant. Like Jackie is a fantastic character and how he wrestles with his own identity after and during, like while he is a slave and then afterwards trying to come to terms with what's going on because of the colonizers. His perspective is really amazing. There's another character in the book, Johnny Starr, who is a colonizer who ends up helping the indigenous people. And he is a fascinating character, really important to what happens in the plot later on. And so just showing like how people can change or showing. I, I agree. I love the characters in this book. And since it's a multi-perspective type of novel, where she takes it, and it does have a very 
large science science fiction inspiration. She weaves these elements together so well. And this is her debut novel. It's so good. It's really just so good. I've never read a book like this. And I was so impressed with it. I'd heard nothing but great things about it. It was shortlisted for the Stella Prize. It was everywhere over in Australia. But in the United States, I haven't seen too many people talking about it. And I don't understand why. Because it is a brilliant novel. And it has so many important things to say on top of just the craft of honoring science fiction, of honoring these books that we typically think are going to go one way, which again, we can't describe in more detail because that's a spoiler, but just read it. You will understand. (laughs) (laughs) Just read it. Yes, exactly. I feel like that's the end of all of these books. Just read it. You'll understand once you read it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that is Terra Nullius by Claire G. Coleman. The next book on our fiction shortlist is Fruit of the Drunken Tree by Ingrid Rojas Contreras. And this is out from Doubleday. Uh, This novel is set during the 1990s in Colombia in Bogota. And it is about Chula and her family. And they are, I would say, upper middle class. They are well off, well off enough to hire a maid. And that is Petrona, who is a lower class girl who has come to work in their household. And she becomes almost a member of the family in a certain way and they directly relate to each other without spoilers chula's life is changed forever because patrona came into her life this is another book that completely caught me off guard definitely and it's one of those books that once you finish it you're so there's a lot of intense things about this book so just so you know there are trigger warnings for violence against women and children uh but once you finish it, you're just so moved, and then you keep thinking about it. And I don't know about you, but weeks later, I would just think about certain scenes of the book and think, how did she do that? Yeah, I, I've i read some reviews since reading it, but I think that for me, it wasn't one of those books where I finished it, and I immediately was like, that was amazing. Like, I thought it was good, but like the longer I thought about it, the more I was like, Man, that was a really good book. So it's kind of like a long simmer after the fact. So it not only talks about the political climate and how that affects Chula's family, which, as Kendra mentioned, is more affluent, but also Patrona's family, who is very poor. So that perspective was really interesting. It was. And we talked to uh, Ingrid on the podcast, and she talked about how this book was originally inspired by events that she experienced as a young girl and a maid that worked in her household, and that inspired this story and how she was able to work through some things and then the story kind of took off a mind of its own. And I appreciate hearing that background because it just made the book all more important because it was inspired by true events that may not have happened to Ingrid, but happened in real life to people around her and how we don't really talk about that as Americans, how we kind of don't understand what was going on in Columbia at the time. And it's just an important book, I think. I think so. And I think the I think even the title of the book is just so beautifully crafted because Ingrid told us on the podcast when we interviewed her, and I'm not going to, if I paraphrase it, it'll be terrible, but she describes like why that flower is significant and why that tree is significant and the meaning of it, and which just added a whole other layer onto what was already going on in the narrative. So it was well and brilliantly thought out. 
So what were some of the reasons, Kendra, why this book made it onto the list? I think one of the big things is something we've already touched on a little bit and that there are so many layers to this book. And after you read the book, it's very thought-provoking and you're left untangling the threads. I feel like it's a book that would definitely deserve rereadings and to delve into this book and to uncover the layers and, and think about it because there's so many things that she's communicating. Also, like she mentioned in our interview, that she wanted to give this book a Spanish feel because Spanish is her first language. But she also started learning English as a young girl, so she speaks them both very fluently. And she wanted to transliterate some things and give the English that she has used to write this book a Spanish feel and communicate that tradition uh, to English readers. Which is one of my favorite parts of this book, is the language. It's just so lyrical. It's amazing. It is so incredibly beautiful. And I love how she was able to use that in her writing style to communicate this story. And at the end of the book, she pulls together all of the themes so effectively. And you're left with just this, this gorgeous story that I just can't stop thinking about. So that is Fruit of the Drunken Tree by Ingrid Rojas Contreras. Which brings us to our last book on the shortlist. Can't believe it. And it is All the Names They Used for God by Anjali Sakdeva. And this book is published by Spiegel and Growl. And it is actually a short story collection. Is this the first time we've had a short story collection? I'm not sure. It's definitely one of the few. I don't remember. I don't know. Clearly, we know our award very well, but anyway. (laughs) It is one of the few that have made the shortlist for the Reading Women Award. We've read a lot of books since last year. (laughs) Anyway, so this is one of the most amazing books I may have ever read in my entire life. It is just, I just, man. (laughs) Obviously, Anjali took all of the words because we have none left. <laughs> yes, we have we have no words. Each of the stories in the book is incredibly realistic. But one of the things that I think is so special about this book is that it's infused with these magical elements that aren't quite... It's not magical realism like it is, but it isn't. It's just like the world is infused with magic. So like, for example... You know, there's this girl who finds this cave, which is like a pretty normal thing, right? But then it's like all of a sudden you realize something is not quite within the bounds of natural rules kind of a thing. And so it's just like that infusion of sparkle just makes these stories so stand out. And I like the word that you use, sparkle. And that's definitely, I feel like, how the magic quote-unquote is used and I feel like also this book runs the gambit between these elements of magic but also science fiction because there's some stories in here that are very heavily more influenced by science fiction and she is showing such versatility in the stories that are in this collection. Definitely and one of my personal favorite stories was Glass Lung which I think leans more towards the science fiction-y that you're talking about. It's actually more like steampunkish kind of. It's about this man who works in the Carnegie, a Carnegie glass factory and the furnace explodes 
when he's at the factory one day. So he has this glass embedded in his lung for the rest of his life. But then it takes, again, takes like more of a magical kind of turn. But then also there's kind of fantasy elements too, in the sense of there's one story where there's a commercial fisherman, but then there's a mermaid. So they're all just so amazing. (laughs) You know, we've read a lot of short story collections this year, but this one I kept coming back to because each story is so different, but they all talk about the themes of all the names they use for God, the things that each of the main characters focus on as the thing that they obsess or worship or et cetera, because that is how the stories are structured, but also the order of the stories, the different topics covered in the stories. She just shows so much talent in this little beautiful collection. And I am continuously wowed by everything that I read by her. Oh, definitely. Cause like the one, the story about the Carnegie furnace, like that's set in like the late 1800s but then there's a story logging link which is set in equivalent of present day time so like it is like such a range of characters and situations and time periods and ah so good it is it is so good and we had the opportunity to talk with her earlier this year one of our i think one of our first interviews this year and she was talking about how when she was preparing this manuscript to publish she read it all out loud and you can definitely tell she has an ear for prose because i listened to some of the stories on audio and i read some of the stories in print and you can hear this beautiful language when the narrator is reading these stories out loud and she just is so talented and i cannot wait i cannot wait to hear what she has coming next yeah so that is all the names they used for god by anjali sakdeva and that is our fiction shortlist for the 2018 reading win award I I love, absolutely love this list of books. And I think there's such a wide range and so many talented women writers here. So good. Like such a good list. I will admit there was a time after we got midway through the year when we didn't have enough picks and I was panicking. I was like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then now that I see the final list, it just brings such joy and happiness to my heart. Yes. So we love all of these authors. Obviously, if you have not picked up these books, we highly recommend that you do. We have several different interviews and Q&As with the authors on this list. So I will link them all down below. And if they come out in the future, I will also retroactively add them to the list. So if you're listening to the list in the future, they will be there and you can go check them out. Thank you to all of you who have reviewed us in iTunes and your various different podcatchers. We are now over 100 ratings in Apple Podcasts, which is amazing. Uh, And we did a giveaway over on Instagram. So if you are looking for more giveaways, we will be holding more in the future. Definitely check that out. Uh, Thanks to all of you, obviously, who reviewed us. And if you haven't already, we would love to see your review in Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. You can also check out our newsletter for new books, reviews, and more. And all of these things will, of course, be linked in our show notes. So be sure to join us next time where we will be revealing the Reading Women Award nonfiction shortlist, which is also equally incredible. Meanwhile, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find us also on readingwomenpodcast.com 
where we have all kinds of resources and information for you. And you can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me at Autumn Privet. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Storybound is a podcast where acclaimed writers read their essays and stories, which are then scored by unique and award-winning composers with each episode hosted by myself, Jude Brewer. With Storybound, you'll find a whole array of genres and musical styles, some painful yet sweet or hilarious yet tragic, all brought to you by the Podglomerate and Lit Hub Radio. Hi, I'm So Pandep. Hi, I'm Megan Angelo. This is Tommy Orange. This is Amanda Stern. This is Phil Cly. Hello, this is Stephanie Dandler. My name is Chloe Caldwell, and you're listening to Storybound. Storybound. This is Storybound. 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 This is the Storybound Podcast. Season 2 will be arriving on July 14th, with new episodes every Tuesday, featuring writers like Stephanie Dandler, Garth Greenwell, Tommy Orange, Chloe Caldwell, and more. Make sure to subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend, because the next best thing to hearing a great story is having someone to share it with.